our first reading for this, the celebration of the ascension of our Lord, is from the first chapter of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, You heard from me, for John John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from the first chapter of Ephesians. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Our third reading is from the 24th chapter of Luke. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany, 
And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. We continue our recitation of the small catechism with the sacrament of holy baptism. How can water do such great things? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things, along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is, a life-giving water, rich in grace, and washing a new birth in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Even though tomorrow is the, the day of the ascension of our Lord, we celebrate it today, on this, on this Wednesday. And the ascension of Jesus is a celebration of the church that can kind of get shortchanged, really. I mean, it's not celebrated like you do Easter or celebrated in the same way that we, we remember Christmas. But the ascension of Christ is just as vital as any of those other special times in Jesus' life. And for us, it might even be more important. And here's why. The, the ascension of Christ is the, the fulfillment of everything. It is his seating at the right hand of God the Father, and in which everything in heaven and on earth is put under the dominion of Christ, in which now he rules over all things in heaven and on earth, and especially rules over his church throughout the earth. And because he is doing that, is able to do great things for us in the church and will do great things for us in the years to come. Here's how the uh, ascension of Christ is described, and this leads into what we're talking about today as far as the ascension being a, a truly great time. Here's what is said about it. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So you can almost picture this. For 40 days, Jesus Christ, after he rose from the dead on Easter, for 40 days, he proved he was alive. He literally went up to me. He visited them. He told Thomas to put his fingers in, his, in the nail prints, and I love in the Greek, to take your hand, Thomas, and shove it in to my side where the spear mark is. 
Jesus wanted them to see that he was physically alive. This is why in some of his other appearances, um, for instance, when he, he met them on the, the, the bank of the Sea of Galilee and had breakfast with them, the scriptures go to great lengths saying that he ate something, ate a piece of fish. We might say, who cares that he ate? Who cares that he ate a piece of fish? Well, it's very important that he ate and ate a piece of fish because a ghost can't eat, right? A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as Jesus did. He wanted to prove to them that he really was alive. And there are other instances in which Jesus asks them after his resurrection, do you have anything to eat? Just to prove to them. It wasn't some vision or some fever dream they were having, or some hallucination, or anything else like that. It was alive, flesh and blood. Now, 40 days after all those resurrection appearances, he ascends into heaven. And you can almost picture it. The disciples, the scriptures say that Jesus is blessing them like this. And as he's blessing them, he's literally lifted up. He just rises up. And you can imagine if you're one of the apostles, you're looking at him, and all of a sudden he starts going up, and you're just watching him like this until he keeps going up. And as happens on any day of the year, there's a cloud, and there are clouds in the sky, and suddenly you just can't see him anymore because he's hidden by the cloud. And the disciples, it appears, they just kept staring up there like this. They may have been looking to see if he was going to come out from another side of a cloud or come out somewhere else in the sky. And that's when the two angels, two men dressed in white, just like at Jesus' resurrection who appeared to Mary Magdalene sitting in the tomb. They appeared and they basically said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking into heaven? He's not coming back. But what they did say is this, and this is what why ascension is such a wonderful day for us. They made a promise. And they said to the men of Galilee, and they say to you, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They reassured the disciple, they reassured us of one very important fact that has yet to occur. Jesus will come back again. He will return. Far from being a threat, that's a wonderful promise to all of us in the church that he will return. That he won't just leave us in this fallen world. That he won't just leave us constantly wrestling with our sinful nature, which wants to tear us away from Christ. He won't just leave us to the grave, where so many fellow Christians over the past 2,000 years have died and are buried. And their bodies await the resurrection, even though their souls are with Christ right now. He won't just Leave us. He'll come back. That's a wonderful promise for us. 
And in fact, everything that we do in the church, everything, is eventually bound up to that promise that Jesus will return. And when he comes, he'll make a new heaven and a new earth. And everything will be changed, and that includes us. And that's a promise. That's a promise that was sealed for you on the day of ascension. Because if Jesus left like that, he will come back in the same way. We can almost say that everything in the church, whether it's the scriptures that we hear read on Sunday or that we read in our homes, all of them are promises that God has made to you. The biggest promise is that he'll return and bring a new heaven and a new earth, bring all of this to a final end. And even when we think of baptism, and tonight we were reading about baptism in our, in our catechism, and the question was, how can water do such great things? And the answer is this, it's not just water. It's the word. It's God's promise. And it said this, certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things. And we have a Bible passage that goes with this. And as I read it, listen to the promises that God said he will do and has done through that water. Titus chapter 3. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. It's trustworthy because God made a promise to you through that water, that through that water, you have been reborn. You have been renewed. You have been given the Holy Spirit. And that one day, you'll see the fulfillment of that baptism. One day. When our bodies have been changed, our sinful nature put to death. And it's just you and Christ. And on that day, that final day, again, when the ascended Christ returns, you'll see the fulfillment of your baptism. That is a wonderful promise. And Titus even says this, that you are heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Well, what's an heir? An heir is someone who inherits. And even in this world, if you have a mom or dad who passes away, they might give an inheritance to you. It might be a lot, it might be a little. But they inherit, you inherit something. You're given something. Well, we have been promised that we are heirs. Not of a car or a house or some chunk of money. None of that matters. You are heirs, inheritors of eternal life. You are an heir of God's kingdom. You are an heir of someone who's going to see Christ face to face and live with him for all eternity. That's his promise to you. And that promise could only come because Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And now rules over all things and is the one who can say, 
that you are welcome into eternal life, that you are an heir of eternal life, all because of what he's done for you. There's so many promises in the scriptures, whether it's the word of God, whether it's the promises in baptism, or the promises in the Lord's Supper. All of them are tied to Jesus Christ and the ascendant Christ and his return. When we, um, on Sundays, when we do the communion liturgy, after uh, the pastor speaks the words of institution, um, he always says this. Well, not always. Depends on the liturgy we're doing. Um, And it's from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. And uh, it starts off like this. (laughs) I'm forgetting it. (laughs) I say it every Sunday. You'd think I'd remember. I only say it every, every other month. To my, there, that's my out. <laughs> it goes like this. It's a wonderful word. It's from Paul. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then the congregation says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Our very communion, our reception of Christ's body and blood is tied to his second coming. It recognizes that the living Christ who has ascended into heaven is still with us physically. He hasn't abandoned us. We're not orphans. He's still here. And he will come again. And we pray for that. We pray that one day the ascended Christ will fulfill everything he came to do And come and bring a new heaven and a new earth. And in fact, we have a whole season of the church here that's about this. The season of Advent. Advent is about celebrating the coming of Christ. And not just the coming of Christ at Christmas. I mean, Advent's right before Christmas. So we think it's like you're a precursor to Christmas. And it is. But it also has a bigger picture. O come, O come, Emmanuel, is our prayer in Advent. That he would come, not just as a baby the first time. He already did that. Been there, done that. That's done. What we pray for him to do is to fulfill that final coming, the second coming. For he will finally come as king of all kings and lord of all lords. He always has been that, even when he was a baby. But... In the second coming, there's no hiding it. And all must admit and recognize that he truly is Lord over all things. And on that day, it will be our greatest joy to bow before him and to see him face to face, eye to eye. And that's his promise to you, that he will return. The ascension of Christ This day is a wonderful day for us to remember. Not that he left us. It's the exact opposite. He ascended so that he could be with us. In a a full way. When you think about it, when Jesus had his three-year ministry with his disciples, he was there in Jerusalem just with his disciples moving around from place to place. He was there. 
He couldn't be anywhere else because he was there. But now that he has ascended, he is able to be in every baptismal font throughout the entire world. Because he has ascended, he's able to be anywhere, anytime. His words are read. And through those words and through the actions of the Holy Spirit, people believe. He is here anytime, anyone, throughout the world, on any altar, celebrates the Lord's Supper rightly. He's there. On Sunday, we had Pastor Alexei Streltsov from Novosibirsk, Russia, Siberia, come and visit us. And what I love about those visits because is that it's such a great reminder to us that we're not alone. That we in the church are spread throughout this entire big world that we live in. And that there are people who believe in Christ the same way we do on the other side of the world. Whether it's in Russia, China, Taiwan, or from Pastor Charles Wolkemar, a good friend in Nigeria or in Ethiopia, or in Latin America. Christ, because he has ascended, is able to be everywhere. Able to be active through all of his churches, through his word and sacraments. Able to live in a unique way through us. As the scriptures call us, his very body in this world. Remember when the uh, Apostle Paul was going to Damascus and Christ met him on the road to Damascus. And uh, he said, because Paul was going to persecute the church to imprison Christians, lock them away, kill them. He voted to have them killed, by the way. He said that elsewhere. But Jesus said this. Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He said, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And that's because the ascended Christ is now so closely connected to you that you're woven together with him through your baptism into him. You are united to him in the Lord's Supper. The scriptures almost describe it as a marriage, that we are that close to Christ now. And that all happened For one reason, because he ascended into heaven and rules over all things. But his promise to you is that he will never abandon you. And maybe even his greater promise to you, that he will come back again. I hope you never view that as a threat. But I hope you look forward to that day. I hope you long for it and pray for it. Amen.